0: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: Welcome to Friday's Football Social Daily as we kick off a new game week in the Premier League. Arsenal against Aston Villa at the Emirates is this weekend's curtain raiser. Just a point between the two sides at this stage of the season, but how will things unfold in North London tonight? We'll discuss that on today's show as well as a mixed bag in Europe last night for two other London clubs. West Ham convincing Europa League winners, just what could they achieve this season? While Spurs were beaten by Vitesse in the Conference League, just what's going wrong at Tottenham right now? Harry Kane not firing could be a reason, but one striker who is firing is Erling Haaland, the Dortmund hitman again linked with a move to English shores. But which Premier League powerhouse is most likely to secure his signature and at what price? All of that to come on today's Football Social Daily. Great to have you with us on the only daily Premier League podcast out there. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a show, including this week's edition of The Dugout, our brand new podcast for the season featuring ex-top flight players. Former Southampton man Francis Benali and once Birmingham and derby player Michael Johnson will be my guests, and that episode will be out very soon, so keep an eye out for that one. I'm Niall McCorner with me today, it's Marley Anderson. Marley, how does freedom feel this morning?
0: Oh, it feels good, feels good. Um I think we're getting closer to point a new manager by the looks of things. Um, And there's a rare bit of optimism around the club, so
1: I'm happy enough. Take it all in. (laughs) Enjoy it. Uh, Steve McNaughton joining us as well this morning. Are you looking forward to Sunday's big game, Steve? Liverpool travelling to Old Trafford, of course.
2: Yes, I think there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Um, I fancy us to score some goals up at Old Trafford, and I think if, if... Defending which United defenders play, I think Mo
1: Salah with the form he's in, he should have a bit of joy. Yeah, Mo Salah looking formidable, isn't he? We'll talk about that game on the dugout, of course. But tonight, the attention turns to the first game of the Premier League weekend, which takes place at the Emirates, Arsenal against Aston Villa. Now, before we get into the guts of this game, Marley, I wanted to tell you about something Mikel Arteta said in his pre-match press conference yesterday. He was asked about Steve Bruce and the job he did at Newcastle United and he was asked about the abuse that Steve Bruce received, which we discussed on yesterday's podcast, by the way. So if you haven't heard that, just scroll up in the Football Social Daily timeline and you can find yesterday's show. But Mikel Arteta said, Steve Bruce is one of the most important managers England have had over the last 100 years. (laughs) What's your reaction to that?
0: I'm doing it. I'm just laughing. Um, (laughs) My... The best thing about it was uh, I seen someone on Twitter write, "This is one of the worst opinions of the last hundred years," <laughs> <laughs> and that is, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he's, what he's going on about, but I think he's just obviously like. Remember, I said yesterday how Steve Bruce is a nice guy. I think everybody's like buying into that as well. Like, I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. I think he, he probably is a very nice guy, and it makes him likable, and it makes him hard to sack, and it makes him. Um, likeable amongst his peers and his, his other managers as well. So, <clears throat> so when you're looking at um, you know shaking hands on a touchline before you know your team ultimately spanks Steve Bruce's team 4-1, you're you're inclined to like him because he hasn't got a team good enough to beat yours ever. And you know he's he's nice about it. He's he's experienced and he'll invite you for a drink or a glass of wine or a kebab or whatever it is in his office. Um, and that's that's it so he's just i think he's just a nice uh, a nice fella but we've seen it yesterday with with everybody's one of everybody's set um press conference questions was what do you think of Steve Bruce getting sacked well he's had a 30% win record for 2 years what why is this such a big deal that new owners have come in every new owner usually sacks a manager very few stay on so why is this surprising people why is this an agenda why is this a new story for everyone um but i feel like it's, it's the beginning of everything Newcastle do getting completely blown up um, and made a bigger deal of because, we, like, I just think it happened with Man City and every time every time Man City, someone spots a, um, an empty seat in Man City, everyone's like, ah, they have got no fans, blah, blah, blah. And you get this tired cliche of, of the empty hat and, and you get the people criticising them for having multiple commercial partners when they're doing nothing wrong. Um, and now you get people shutting it down um, to to sort of stop Newcastle. I just think it's starting to go that way. Where once we do something, it's like, oh well, you can't do that. Or we're gonna put it in the media so much that everybody starts to to see Newcastle as the sort of common enemy. So, but bring it on. I don't give a shit.
1: Well, to be fair, I think that is definitely something that's going to happen. I think that the spotlight is very much on Newcastle and it will be probably for the next two years, really, um, particularly when it comes to the investment and the actions of the owners. But with the Arteta comments on Steve Bruce... Steve it's more I think that there's this sort of coaches union isn't there even though they kind of have a bit of a spat on the touchline from time to time there tends to be very rarely genuine hatred between managers there's always that competitive element but it's unlikely that they all kind of hate each other
2: no it's not and I was just you know as you you were talking then I was trying to think of any you know long-running feuds and I think that the one that comes to mind is is Mourinho and Arsene Wenger, you know, where there was there was no love lost there, and Jose was very vocal about him in his press conferences, you know, calling him a serial loser and things like that. But I think gen- genuinely, I think you know, Mikel's comments need to be taken with a little bit of a pinch of salt. I think you know they were a bit sensationalist. Steve Bruce has had a long distinguished career as a player and a manager, at, you know, to achieve a thousand. Games as a manager is 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 some achievement, and I think we all can you know tip our hat to him uh, for that. But the reality is is that you know it's it's obviously, I mean, there's plenty of different emotions swirling around about the Steve Bruce situation, and I think it it's sad. I thought that the statement he made was quite sad, and I think it's a man that sounds, you know, beaten and um, he's had his fill with it. But I think you know. Supporters will will always voice their opinion, and I think you know calling him things like a tactically inept cabbage head is is unfortunate, <laughs> and it's it's not warranted. But social media does give people a platform to 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 earn their views, and I think in the cold light of day, a lot of these opinions that were put out, I don't think were personal. I think they were they were just the result of of a massive amount of frustration from a, a Newcastle support that have more than had the fill over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. And, mm. um, you know, Steve Bruce probably didn't help himself at Newcastle with the style of football he employed. I don't think that some of the signings were particularly great. And um, and I think, you know, the fans up there want a specific brand of football, which they'll be hoping the next manager can, can employ because I've said... You know, before if Newcastle were to get beat, as long as they had a go and they played really attractive football and the the attacked the other team with intent and they come away with a one 0 loss, I think you know they they probably take that because they're reasonable people. But what they kind of won't take is is the the style that that we'd seen and some of the decisions that were made. But you know there were mitigating circumstances in it. Obviously, it's under Mike Ashley. And you know, the support really wasn't there over his tenure. Um, I think that you know, the transfers were, were reactionary, but all said and done, it's better for everyone. Um, it, it, there is a coaches union, you know, they do put this ring of support around each other when something like this happens, and it's just best for, for everyone to, to move on from it. Now, Newcastle have got a you know, a bright new future on the horizon. Um, I'm not convinced on the guy that has been linked with the job as, as as the favorite I think he'll be out within 10 to 12 months um but that's a different podcast um and I just wish you know I think we all we all wish Steve well with whatever he does next and hope that he get he recharges his batteries and he you know he he, he finds a bit of peace really
1: yeah I mean I think it was interesting what Mikel Arteta had to say because I actually think Arteta has been very, very good with the media since his arrival as Arsenal manager. I think he's been bullish. I think he said the right things at the right times. Um, However, for me, that's not something I can get on board with in terms of an opinion about Steve Bruce being one of the most important managers England have produced over the last century. So uh, that's what Mikel Arteta had to say on Steve Bruce. But tonight, his Arsenal side welcome Aston Villa to the Emirates. And his team had to come from behind against Palace late on in their last Premier League game, Marley. If they get a win, do you think that they'll have turned a corner this season? Because after three games in that first international break where they were bottom of the table, they had minus nine goals and it was the worst start to a season they'd ever had. I mean, things were looking really grim then. And although they're still mid-table, it would be a, a much improved last month or so if that was to be the case.
0: Yeah, they'll, they'll have an open-top bus parade around North London on Sunday, I think, if, <laughs> if they get a result. Um, no, it was... Uh, they have improved um they still could be a lot better sometimes i think when the when the results are going their way you expect them to be when when you expect them to have confidence and to to push a team to one side quite comfortably like i would expect against crystal palace even though they're improving the other night um they still make hard work of it and they still they almost always play to the level of their opposition which is a dangerous thing because you look good against the good teams and you look awful against the poor teams and you know, I th- I just think there's there's still a consistency issue with, with Arsenal. Still think they're a very fair weather club when everything's going well, you know, they're playing play nice football, but when everything's a bit harder, you know, there's a toxic atmosphere that's just waiting to waiting to, to come to the top. Like a lot of clubs to be fair. Um but yeah, just I don't know with Arsenal. I feel like it takes very little for them to, to get pushed off that like tightrope they're walking and it'll go either way. But we'll see what they do this weekend. But you know, I still think there's quality players in there, there's a good enough team to come out of this, um, come out the other side of this. I'm just not quite sure about Arteta in his um, <clears throat> in his like philosophy and stuff. I don't know whether it's gonna provide long-term results because he's had like you know coming up to three years now so
1: not really seeing it this is what I said the last time Arsenal played Steve you know I think you were on the podcast when I said it we know what Jurgen Klopp does we know what Pep Guardiola does we even know what players uh, managers like Graham Potter do to an extent but with Arsenal and Mikel Arteta I think I know what he's trying to do but I'm not 100% convinced because I don't think we've seen it often enough and obviously that's the challenge of a manager is to stamp your authority on a team provide a blueprint and play to that blueprint and win football matches now that's easy to say on a podcast when you've got no managerial experience like me but it's a lot harder to put into practice with a club with an expectant fan base like Arsenal so from what you've seen from the Gunners in the two years that Mikel Arteta's been in charge almost two years are you beginning to see any signs of a style of play or a blueprint is it the fact they don't have the players to perform it what's your take
2: I don't think we are seeing a style just yet, and that's that's the big concern, and, and we have spoke about that at length before on the podcast. You know, like you say, it's it's funny really because Arsenal had a massive window and spent a huge amount of money this summer for for by their standards, and it's still not quite there yet. Um, I, I just think that you know he's he's not still not settled as he on his his best eleven. He's, um, I mean, you know, just as, as a side note, the comments that Ben White has made recently are very concerning, um, you know, considering he paid £50 million for him in summer. And I just think that, you know, like Marley said, I thought Marley summed it up quite well there, where he said, you know, they just make really hard work of everything and they aren't ruthless enough. We talked about the centre of that team in defence and in midfield in, in the past and I think the the attackers that they have in, in, in Lacazette and Aubameyang, um, certainly are in the coming to the twilight of their careers, uh, so I think that is 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 an issue. Um, uh, yeah, it are a real head scratcher, in all honesty. But you know they've not lost for five games, and you know we, we, I mean we, we you know we want to be optimistic with Arsenal after giving them a lot of on this podcast over the last couple of years, but it's very very difficult you know they've drawn the last two and and peak arsenal is is the is, is the you know the north london derby win which where they was superb in it but he'll he'll switch it up then for the next game and he'll it'll be a lot more defensive and you'll get teams like palace coming coming to the emirates and 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 being unfortunate not to come away with the three points and it's it's really really difficult and i think as as an arsenal fan um you know it must be really frustrating for them not to have that—that that what Man City have, um you know what Liverpool, Brighton, you know the teams that we mentioned um, have—and and I don't know how he solves it. And I think, you know, he's—I think if he's not solved it by the end of the season, you know, th- th- there might be
1: uh, choppy waters ahead. I think it's really hard to pinpoint a moment in time. From a neutral's perspective, in my opinion, as to where it started going downhill for Arsenal. Now, some people might say when they left Highbury, but that was in 2006. That was 15 years ago. You know, so you can't say that Arsenal are still, you know, a a club who have title aspirations when we can pinpoint their decline as moving away from Highbury to the Emirates 15 years ago. That's a long time. I mean, we say two weeks is a long time in football, let alone 15 years. So I think it's hard to really put your finger on the moment where Arsenal stopped becoming that competitive side because even under Wenger, they were consistently a top four team. And then by the end of Wenger's tenure, they were slipping into the Europa League places. So I just think it's a really interesting discussion to be had because maybe Arsenal fans have a different view. Maybe Arsenal fans think it's when they sacked Wenger that is the time that they started to slide a little bit so you know there's a lot of case study to take over the last 15 years since the move away from Highbury and Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp stopped playing for the club and players like that as to where they are now so I'll be interested to hear interested to hear what Arsenal fans truly think of that let's talk about Aston Villa though because they can actually leapfrog Arsenal in the table with a win We've seen them play at times this season Marley and look brilliant. We've also seen them play at times and not look so good at all. Is it just that consistently that's consistency that they're still trying to find, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it is. Um I think they're playing a new system as well this this year, um the sort of 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it, um to get Ings and and Watkins up front. Um I think that takes some getting used to. They've they've had some good results obviously, the the uh, the late win at uh, at Old Trafford against Man United was was probably the highlight, um, but for all that you know they they showed the soft underbelly against uh, Wolves you know losing a two goal lead um, in the space of well there was, I think it was ten minutes to go wasn't there and they ended up losing it three two so um, yeah it's it it is just that consistency um, I feel it as they've got a lot of good players now Villa and I think the the system they play is not conducive to all of them. I don't think you can fit them all in. Um, I look at Leon Bailey and think, where do you fit in? In a back three, uh, like a 3-5-2. Possibly left wing back, but you, you won't defend as well as Matt Target will. So, I've, I almost feel like he's got to go with one up front and pick Ings or Watkins. And then if he's losing the game or drawing the game, bring the other one on. So, I'm not sure if um, if that's, a, that's, that's more of an issue, but... I think we'll probably see them stick with it and, and pick up results like they are till the end of the season. Like win one, lose one, win two in a row, then lose three. And it's it'll just go backwards and forwards. I don't think they're fully equipped to to push on and, and crack the top seven or eight. So um, I think we'll just see them sort of struggling, well, not struggling, but like floating around mid-table.
1: I don't want to mention Jack Grealish because it feels like the obvious thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Would they be higher up the table if they had Jack Grealish? Is it that simple? Because I think the recruitment they've made with the money they've... Rekoud from the Jack Grealish sales, Steve, they've invested in some decent players and we've seen some of those players show exactly what they're all about already. Obviously, Leon Bailey's one who Marley mentioned, but he's been injured for a little bit. Do you think if they did have Jack Grealish still in their side that they wouldn't be 13th or whatever it is and they'd be slightly higher up the table? Or is it just too easy to say that? Because we'd never obviously know, but speculatively, do you think that that would have been the case? I don't think it would have been the case. I think that let's not forget the season before the escape relegation
2: on the last day up at um, you know West Ham, didn't he? So you know there's 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 cases for and against with that. I think they they invested the money quite smartly. You know from the Grealish sale, I think you know they've got some good players. Leon Bailey, you know before his injury was was looking very exciting, and um, who's the lad they signed from Norwich? The really good player. Wendy, oh, uh, yeah, you know, is, is is a really good player, and you know, you've got players in there that, that are doing a job for them. You know, like so I think Matty Cash is is in really good form this season. Um, you know, and, and Bertrand Traore um, should be should be back in training shortly for them. And I think all it's they're a funny one Aston Villa because if you look where they are in the league, just below Arsenal, uh, But all the pundits wax lyrical about them and say that you know they're they're about to you know to blow up and. Um, you know when the sky's the limit for Aston Villa, and yes, we know they've got very rich owners, and um, you know. But the reality is, is you know they've lost three out out of the last five, and you know. Yes, you can say that going you know to Chelsea in the cup and and, and losing on penalties was 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 hard, and that. but you know losing to to Tottenham away isn't isn't a disrespectful result because the the two clubs that are arguably fighting for similar positions, I believe. Um, but losing at home to Wolves uh, when you're two 0 up after 80 minutes is is unacceptable, yeah. and I, th- I you know I think that that's really worrying for Aston Villa. But to, to answer your question, I don't think the Grealish effect is is a thing. I think you know he, he, it's a flip of a coin whether whether they'll be higher or or, or you know lower um, down the table. I think the tactics that were employed on by teams on Jack Grealish when he was at Villa would have been a factor as well. Um, But yeah, very, very difficult. But I think Aston Villa will be wanting to fix uh, what was a, an absolute shocker of a result
1: last time out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, it's more frustrating for Villa fans that they can go to Old Trafford, play so well, And beat Manchester United and then be in front against Wolves, as you mentioned, Steve, and then throw it away right at the death. It was a deflected goal from Ruben Neves, but it was still a very, very poor end to the game. And I don't want to say a capitulation by Aston Villa, but certainly that would have brought immense disappointment to their supporters. They have a chance, though, tonight to put things right as they travel to North London and the Emirates to take on Arsenal in what is at the moment a mid-table clash, but it kicks off our Premier League weekend. Well, that's the game tonight. What about the games last night? European action for West Ham and Tottenham. We'll discuss that next here on Football Social Daily. Football
0: Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social, part of the Sport Social podcast network. If You head to the website sport-social.co.uk, look at the top of the screen and click the podcast tab. You'll find loads of great sport podcasts there to get your teeth stuck into. But for now, we're going to talk about last night's European action involving our Premier League sides. European action for Leicester in the Europa League took place on Wednesday and we've already covered that off on this week's editions of Football Social Daily. So just the two teams playing last night off Premier League persuasion and we'll start in East London where West Ham beat Belgian side Genk by three goals to nil. Another accomplished performance in Europe for the third time in a row from David Moyes' side. They are in cruise control in their group. It's almost guaranteed now that they'll get through to the knockout stages of the Europa League. And Jared Bowen, post-match Steve, said that teams will now be fearing us in terms of the Hammers and how they're playing. Do you think he's right? No. I think that West Ham are
2: are doing really well in in that group. And, you know, it was on paper, it looked a difficult group for them to try and get out of with, you know, with the likes of Genk and um, Zagreb, who'd obviously our famous results against, you know, Tottenham the season before. You know, West Ham are going about the business in a very impressive fashion. I think, you know, to, three out of three is, is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I take my hat off to them. I think it's really, really good for the fans of that football club to be enjoying European football and handing out a few spankings to people. But the reality is, for, for for West Ham, as soon as these Champions League teams drop into that tournament, it becomes a very different prospect. And I think if they, for example, end up playing the likes of Atletico Madrid, uh, I'm not saying they'll go out with the Champions League, but you know they're, they're hovering around uh, third place in in and second place in their group, you know, depending on points, but. I think you know if you come up against the team of of that ilk or a Juventus or, or someone like that, I, you know I, I wouldn't expect West Ham to go through. But you know I think I've said it before on um, uh, you know the podcast. I think all you need to do is enjoy it, not put a load of pressure on themselves by saying you know we can we can we can we can go all the way and teams will be worried about us and I just enjoy these games and traveling around Europe and playing these teams and, and and see what happens I think West Ham can comfortably get to last 16 quarter-finals of the competition but I do maintain mm. I, I do as soon as they they come up against a tasty Champions League team
1: um I think they'll go out Well, if they stay top of the group, that won't be the case because obviously the way the Europa League works this season, if you finish top, you won't come up against those Champions League sides dropping down. But however, if they do hit a rocky patch in the Europa League and finish second in their group, they might well come up against one of those Champions League dropouts. But at the moment, it's all rosy for West Ham. Steve says to enjoy it, Marley, and I'm in the same camp as him, I I totally agree. These are the moments you kind of live for as a football fan. West Ham fans have seen their side struggle at times in recent seasons. They've been down to the championship and back on a couple of occasions. And now they're playing European football. So why not absolutely enjoy the moment and and love every minute of it? How far can they go possibly? Steve says last 16, not just in Europe as well, but in general this season, what's the kind of, what's the bar for West Ham, do you think?
0: Uh, well, Well, I thought the bar would, I thought we'd get to this point with West Ham this season where they come off of a good, you know, season before. And I thought it'd be typical West Ham to just flop this season and really struggle because they, as we've just sort of alluded to, they don't have any consistency of like, you know, they can they can get relegated, they can get in a fight at the bottom and then they can finish, you know, almost in the Champions League last season. You know, they're only because they fell away in the last few games. But... Um, yeah, so it's it's really weird expecting West Ham to win a game and then them going to win a game quite comfortably last night when they won three 0 So, like you're looking at it on your betting slip and going, well, oof, you know, um, that's not that's not the easiest game really. You know, um, Genk have got enough about them to to spring something there, but the way West Ham West Ham put them away, they were in trouble a little bit and had a couple of close shaves, but ultimately the the set pieces got them out of it. You know, with two goals from from the two centre-backs, they were too good there. And, and the whole style of play is, is holding up quite well in Europe. So I feel like, obviously, they'll definitely get through the group. Um, because they go through as group winners, they'll um, they'll face somebody slightly easier. They won't face one of the teams falling out of the Champions League in third place just yet. Um, so I reckon they could go to the quarter-finals. Um, but once they run into someone like... Um, you know, like a Leipzig for example, if they or a Porto if they fall out of the Champions League, then I think they're their uh, their race is run to be honest. I think they've got a bit too much for them. But like like we, we seen last night, the atmosphere and everything at, at um at the London stadium is is something that can spur West Ham on even more. Like it's not an easy place to go. There's it's a packed out stadium, big stadium, it can intimidate teams. Um and you never know the power of uh, the power of fans that um that they could go a little bit further. So I wouldn't completely count them out. I don't think they'll win it. Um, I think there'll be too many strong teams in the, in the last four and the last eight. But certainly I can see them going at the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah, I mean, you only need to look at your side, Liverpool and their group in the Champions League, Steve, and the quality of teams that are in Liverpool's group just to see the the quality of the teams that could possibly drop down into the Europa. But well done to West Ham. 3-0 winners over Genk last night. And they look like they could be well on their way to qualification. Difficult evening for Tottenham, though, on the flip side. They lost 1-0 at Vitesse Arnhem, who are a Dutch Eredivisie side. And it's easy to ask this question after a defeat at the hands of a side you should quite comfortably be beating, Steve. But what is going wrong at Tottenham? What are the issues? We know that the manager isn't the manager that they wanted in terms of first choice, probably not second or third choice, but I don't think that's A slight on Nuno Espirito Santo. I think he's doing as good as a job as he's hoping to be able to do. Harry Kane, there's question marks around him. I mean, is there one thing that you can pinpoint that's wrong at Spurs or is it a multitude of things, do you think?
2: I think there's a few things, isn't there? You know, you quite rightly said that Nuno was probably fifth or sixth or even seventh choice for the job in in, in summer when that was kicking round. And... I mean let's be, let's be honest about it, the whole recruitment process for that gig was, was an embarrassment. Um, you know, yeah. it was all played out in the media and you know, a couple of people were close and then backed away from it and um but one of the other factors is that they don't really have a massive amount of squad depth. Obviously they rotated last night for the um, you know, Vitesse Arnhem game. And even with Tottenham rotating, they should comfortably dispatch a you know, an average Every division side, but they they just come up against these teams and and they toil time after time after time and you know and I just think that there's lots to ponder and that's before we bring in the the you know the Kane situation and and Deli Ali is, is is well off as well again um, you know so he's on that roller coaster with his performances and his level that, that that he's putting in and I just think it's you know there's a whirlwind of of stuff going on at Tottenham and I just think that. You know, I think Nuno's going to be, um, you know, skirting quite close to the edge in, in a matter of weeks. I think, you know, if they lose a, a couple of Premier League games and get t- turned over again in Europa League, it, that that might be it because it's it's just not working out. And that's, um, you know, Nuno's been one of the most important managers in English football. And um, <laughs> you know, that was a Steve Bruce joke, but it fell flat. <laughs> um, you know, I think that. Um, you know, yeah, uh, I, I just don't see how, how this is going to last the season for for Nuno and Tottenham, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know whether it's going to be 100 years until Espirito Santo is surpassed as the greatest manager to ever grace the Premier League. But, um, I mean, I think a key strand that's been running through our conversation throughout the podcast today, Marley, whether it's been about Steve Bruce, whether it's been about Mikel Arteta, and now we're talking about... Nuno Espirito-Santo at Tottenham, I think it's patience is the key thread. I mean, what happens this season with Spurs? I think the board indirectly have suggested in recent weeks that the supporters need to have a bit of patience with Tottenham. Is that required? And is that something that the fans should accept? Or is it understood that they're having a bit of resistance against that? Because to go from being a Champions League finalist to losing to Vitesse in the Europa Conference League, the third tier of European competition. That's obviously going to raise some concerns and questions and for me, rightly so.
0: Yeah, well that's exactly what I was going to mention. It's hard to say to a fan base you've got to have patience when you 2 years ago you were at the pinnacle of club football, you were in, within touching distance of winning that um that European trophy, the Champions League. So you can say to like Newcastle fans, you know, you've got to have patience because yeah, you gotta have patience because we're at the start of a process. But Spurs, are, Spurs were at the other end of that process, and they've gone so far backwards. It's actually scary when you think about it, playing in some pisspot Europe European League that no one cares about and nobody ever wanted. This Conference League, and then being said, you know, being turned over in in the back end of Holland by Vitesse, who were mainly famous for getting old Chelsea's loan players. That's all all anyone knows them for. So, they've gone so far backwards that if you say, no, oh, patience, patience, we've got to get this right. If you look at the near future, Kane's still odds-on to leave. Um, Son's going to be there on his own. You know, the defence looks awful. The, the players they've bought, Romero and, and Golini, don't get in the team. Uh, Brian Gill doesn't get in the team um, at the weekends. He gets put in, in the in the Europa League, uh, Conference League. And I just think, like, it's weird. They've gone so far backwards. That I just don't get it, and I feel like there's more negative times ahead than for Spurs than than uh, than positive ones. Because I can't see how this gets better. They're gonna lose all the goals soon if Kane leaves. So that's another step back, and that can take you years to to find a way of playing, or uh or or a, a genuine like for like replacement that can come in and take you back to the level you once were. And I don't feel like Santo is the the man to get them there. To be honest, um. And I feel like, but then again, I also feel like Levy had such a, a nightmare hiring someone that, that he, he'd be reluctant to pull the trigger on him anytime soon, really.
1: With what you say, I think that it's probably not widely known outside of Tottenham circles that the Tottenham Supporters Trust have asked to meet with Daniel Levy and the board on a number of occasions since Super League and since the Harry Kane situation in the summer, and the club have refused to meet with their own supporters' trust. And that never looks good to me. That's never a good look.
0: It's Levy all over though, isn't it? It is is club. It is way or the highway. That's simple as that. It's
1: certainly, that's how it looks from the outside looking in. But again, another difficult evening for Tottenham. They lose 1-0 at Vitesse Arnhem in the Europa Conference League. Let's talk about someone who's doing the rounds in terms of transfer gossip to close out today's Football Social Daily. That man is the cyborg, as I like to refer to him, Erling Haaland, the striker, the Norwegian lad who plays with Borussia Dortmund, who has just been in scintillating form in the last two, two seasons or so. He's in the news again over a potential move away from Borussia Dortmund, Premier League teams, Obviously linked to his signature, including Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea, who are all allegedly keen. It's said that he'll cost £30 million in wages and we could see him up to around £500,000 a week-ish in terms of wages that he scoops. I mean, it's such a difficult question to answer because it's only speculation and we're all going to be guessing. But where do you think he's ending up, Steve? Because it's interesting that City, United and Chelsea are all linked with his signature. But your club, Liverpool, isn't. And we know that financially, Liverpool are are slightly more stringent with the wages and the transfer fees and stuff like that. So do you think that in terms of a Premier League move, if it is to be the case that he moves to England, it will be one of the three other powerhouses rather than your team?
2: yeah it won't be liverpool we we won't do a deal of that nature um, i'm not sure that we deal with anyone who's represented by raiola because of the the nature of his dealings and um and i think i mean it's not the boy's fault to be fair but i think whoever signs him is going to have a lot of disharmony in the squad um because of the financials involved in it um it it's a really murky deal that is potentially you know going to be done um you know with raiola getting I think it's reportedly 25 million. His dad getting the same. Um, I mean, what the hell's his dad got to do with it? And I, you know, that's he has an agent who, who, who sorts all that out. But anyway, and then you've got these astronomical wages, which we're heading for that territory becoming the norm for for these players. You know, Mo Salah is negotiating a new contract at Liverpool at the minute. You know, I, I believe he's going to be the. The highest paid player at the club, and we won't do five hundred thousand a week and that. But I reckon Mo's going to be on about three ninety, you know, at, at Liverpool if, if he signs a new deal, which you know nearly doubles our wage structure at the minute. You know, in terms of weekly payment, I think our top earners earn two hundred grand a week. You know, Van Dyke, um, Alisson, Allison, Salah, um, Tiago and people like that. But I, I, to answer the question, I think he ends up at Chelsea. I think Chelsea will do that deal for him. Um, I think that. they'll they'll just throw that much cash at it to get it over the line because, you know, I think Tuchel has said recently that, you know, they would love a a Lukaku and and Haaland strike force at Chelsea, which, which, you know, we'll have the fans salivating. It's just, you know, it's what dreams are made of, isn't it, really? You know, and um, I think United can't do that deal. I think United are in so much debt and they've gone big again in summer. You know when they signed Sancho Varane and and then you you bring in Cristiano Ronaldo into that equation, um, so I can't see United doing that deal because it will it's probably going to add, you know, hundreds of millions onto onto that you know bottom line again. Um, Man City would they have an appetite to do a deal like that would they enter into a bidding war with Chelsea for them I'm not sure I think Chelsea will have a run at him in the end and I think that he'll probably be playing his football at Chelsea next season
1: It's certainly an interesting one what's your take Marley because listen he's a very good player but £500,000 a week puts him on the same level as Ronaldo it puts him above Salah as Steve says it puts him above Kevin De Bruyne and I know it doesn't really make a difference because people's wages are their own personal business, but fans will take an interest in that as they often do when it comes to football finance, as if to say, well, we're spending X amount a week on this player when the money could be better invested elsewhere. Just how good is Erling Haaland for you? And just how good could he be? And if he does come to the Premier League, do you foresee him at any of those clubs? And do you foresee him performing at the level he has shown for Dortmund and Salzburg before that?
0: Yeah, I I do. I've waited... For him to like fall off just slightly, you know, when he when he came to Dortmund from Salzburg, obviously it's a big step up in quality um, from Austria to to the German league, and he just it was as if he was playing with kids. Like he just he just killed everyone, and he's he's built like no other striker I've seen. I've never seen a guy so big, move so fast, and be so powerful. And it, despite he's got like a quite a skinny frame I don't even think he's quite filled out yet well, that's gonna come in the next couple of years where he's going to turn into this beast um so yeah I, th- I think he's an absolute freakin nature so I can't say I think he'll he'll slow down if he comes to the Premier League because I feel like he's got everything he needs to to succeed in the Premier League he's he's um you know his, his dad played there so he can pass on his experience of, of what it might be like. Um, coming in and you know, the other pressures and things like that and the the media and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I can't see any holes in his game that I'd say I think you, you might struggle when you get to England if he does come to England. But if he does, I feel like City are the perfect um, perfect club for him. Um, they've played with a, a centre-forward um proper centre forward like Liverpool don't so that rules them out I feel like if Liverpool went and signed a, a proper striker um, and put them alongside Salah Romane I think you lose the goals and the impact from Salah Romane I think they need that space and that's why Jota and Firmino are perfect for them um, whereas City have you know played with Aguero for the last eight years or whatever it's been um, and then they're, they're without him now so I feel like there will be a replacement comes eventually it all just hinges on the financials and we've seen City walk away from deals in the past where they feel like they're getting fleeced because everyone knows they've got money so you know they've, they've gone all right well we'll go and get someone else like Koundé for example and they walked away from him and ended up with Ruben Diaz um it was so there was a defensive mid as well a while back that's why they ended up with Rodri out of nowhere I can't remember who it was um but it's yeah I I mean I'd love to see him in the Premier League I'd love to see him at City in particular I like the whole his dad played there um and and that like that continuation and they're a club that can do everything for him he can win the Premier League there he can win the Champions League you know they're in that mixture of of becoming one of the best becoming the best team in the world so why you know that's the final final sort of hurdle for me for him
1: yeah, I, I I totally agree with what you say, and I do quite like the romanticism of the fact his dad played there, and you know he he's worn City kits as a kid, and he's been to City games and stuff. It feels like quite a nice story, but I also find it difficult to get my head around the fact that if City didn't want to pay 150 million for Harry Kane and didn't want to pay 450 grand a week for Harry Kane, why are they going to pay 110 million for Erling Haaland and put him on 500 grand a week? It doesn't seem like something that that fits the stories coming out of the club last summer but that's just a personal opinion i might have completely misread the room there
0: i think it's just his age that's that's all that's the biggest thing for the biggest thing you can't you can't really talk about sell-on value um with harlan because you've got to assume if he got to city you know who who goes and buys one of city's best players for for the same money so it's not like they're gonna get you know a couple of years out of him then he's going to go to real madrid because imagine in a couple of years time if he does well at man man city Real Madrid would then have to pay you know 250 million quid for him and then probably close to a million a week for him so that's that's unfeasible so it feels like that move would be would be it you know so you've got to get the you've got to get the financials right of course and city have done that over the years i think yes they've spent a lot of money but they've also not spent an excessive amount.
1: Okay, thanks Steve, thanks Marley thank you for listening in to the podcast this is Football Social Daily the only daily Premier League podcast out there with a new episode every single day of the top flight season we'll be back again tomorrow and we'll also be looking ahead to the weekend's action on our Dugout podcast and Fergal Brennan will be back on Sunday as well with a couple of guests looking back across the weekend's Premier League games that's it for now though and we'll catch you next time Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, Revoid, we Prohibited by Law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? ha! in my dentist's office.